We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. This is The Movies That Made Me, with your hosts, Josh Olson and Joe Dante. Very psyched to, to bring back our uh, our old friend Mickey Garris, uh, who uh, God damn it looks exactly the same as he did the last time I saw him, which was before <laughs> before the pandemic. So oh, uh, that's years. only a couple of years, Josh, and you guys haven't changed a bit either. Uh, well, we we uh, we have we have paintings in our attics. We're older and wiser. That's right. <laughs> well, that's two out of three of us. Yeah, but uh, no, we thought so. We've been we've been sort of. Uh, reaching out to folks we have enjoyed speaking with in the past and uh, oh, okay. coming up with an excuse to bring them back and talk to them about their favorite year personally. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty great. I, I had a bit of a struggle between 1999 and 1986. Oh, interesting. And I finally ended up on 1986 just because of two movies that would make any year. Okay, and, well, we'll we'll hear it. Yeah, for sure. I can't wait to. We'll get. What was, what was can you give us a brief hint of what 1999 had? Since we're not well, it. you know, it it had Stir of Echoes and it had uh, the the Shyamalan's movie. Um, oh, six cents. The first one. Yeah. Yes. yes. Well, his second official. The second one. But, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Six cents. Six cents. Which and there were a bunch of other movies, but yeah. once I started. 86 was the initial one just because the fly. Oh, Josh, yeah. Josh, you certainly can appreciate that as much. as I thought Hennessy. that was from the 50s. I didn't know that was. Oh, the, oh, yeah. No, this was 86. I, I love yes. me some David Edison. Yeah, Al Edison in, in, credited in that one. Oh, that's right. Oh, wow. Yes. I keep good Lord. I'm so, I'm so out of my death when I come on the show with you guys. <laughs> no, no. Joe can overrule anybody. Al, right? I uh, forgot uh, Al Edison. I don't, think, I don't think Al Edison is major trivia, so I think it's okay. <laughs> how about, how about, wait, by the way, do you remember Mike Connors' old? Uh, uh, Touch Connors. Touch yeah. Connors, yes. <laughs> and his real name? Oh, uh, I don't know that. Oh, but that's Ohanian. Wow! Yeah, I knew it was yeah. an Armenian name or something. Yeah, I don't know why. So that's one of those stupid things. No, I don't, that I don't know why. Me. I don't know why he ever got rid of Touch. That's such a great name. Touch was such a great one. Yeah. Like, Touch Connors. Touch but, Connors. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know why Crooker Ohanian. Like I can't remember. You know things like my agent's kids' names, but I remember Crooker Ohanian. You're only supposed to remember that at Christmas. <laughs> but that's <laughs> like an Irish Armenian name. That's just an Irish. <laughs> Ohanian. Oh, the, oh, the Irish Ohanians. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> uh, Yeah, oh, I love it. But anyway, Mick, Mick, you're here. Yes, yeah. let's talk. So, 1986. Yeah, the fly. Oh, I can just interject. I mean, I, you'd been here for a while, correct? No, it's that been a while since I've been here. Yeah. 
No, no, I mean, you'd been oh. in L.A. for a long time. Oh, I, I was born in L.A., but 1986, I realized after I started looking at all the movies made then, that's also the first year I directed oh. um, the timeless classic Fuzz Bucket for the Disney Sunday movie. Wow, uh, I am uh, a huge, huge fan of the, the Fuzz Bucket, which I've never, <laughs> I've never heard of before. It was now. only five years since your, uh, you know, publicity years yeah you know? i mean i was doing publicity in the early well, 80s right. yeah, and but... doing making ofs and all that yeah. you know doing the making of the howling and doing the making of gremlins and you know joe and i have a history that we goes go back a long way i met him when he was first at uh i think at, i think you were at universal when i first met you no actually avco or was it working, avco working yeah. on the Howling. i just always remember going down those steps at universal to try to find your your office oh, yeah. down in the, it's down by the looping place you know yeah, we were was he, was he still going by Krecker ohanian then or had he... <laughs> <laughs> it was under the commissary so i always knew what the special was every day <laughs> but right, well just just so just a little a little asterisk to this 86 was the year i moved out here so ah okay well a, then this and, is a momentous year yeah well that realization my god the movie theaters here you know i just remember looking and it, it felt like somehow I can't remember what time of year I got here, but it felt like in between when I left Philadelphia and got on the plane, when I got here, all these incredible, like there were giant billboards. They were doing a sequel to Alien from the director of Terminator, you know, and all this <laughs> Okay, we're going to get to that one too. Okay, no, we'll yeah, get to it. Yeah. But it was just like, I was like, oh my God. And you could not only these movies that I had no idea were going to exist uh, are coming here and there's giant billboards everywhere, but you can see them in theaters that are palaces. I mean, yeah. they're not aging yeah. decrepit ones like the few we had left in Philly, but just... Yeah, because the oh. aging, decrepit ones became churches. Yeah, <laughs> yes. or malls, or malls. Yeah, but I, I was just just to tell you, I have a very soft spot for this year, so I'm eager to hear what. Uh, oh, I'm glad. I'm glad because I do too. I mean, that The Fly certainly is. Fly. Oh my God, what maybe the best monster movie in history. I think you're making a mistake. I think you really want to talk to me. Sorry, I have three other interviews to do before this party's over. Yeah, but they're not working on something that'll change the world as we know it. They say they are. Yeah, but they're lying. There is a limit, even to the imagination. Human teleportation, molecular decimation, breakdown, and reformation is inherently purging. Where our greatest creations meet our deepest fears. Something went wrong, Seth. When you went through, something went wrong. You are about to go beyond that limit. weird hairs that were growing out of your back, I had them analyzed. But they were definitely not human. You're changing, Seth. Everything about you is changing. Oh, no. What's happening to me? Am I dying? I want to know what's going on. What does the disease want? It wants to turn me into something else. Oh, no. A fly got into the transmitter pod with me that first time when I was alone. Don't go back to it. It could be contagious. I'm afraid. Don't be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. It sort of cheapens it to call it a monster movie because it is so much more than that, but it is indeed a monster movie. Yeah. But it's so smart and so emotional, which was not a hallmark of David's early films. It was yeah. deeply romantic. Oh my God, isn't it? Yep. Dramatic, uh, heartfelt. I mean, there was so much in it that you don't get, even today, uh, 
even the best of the genre movies today don't go as deep as that film did. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Chuck Pogue, Cronenberg uh, always said that the things that people credit him with really should go to Chuck Pogue, like the really grotesqueries that mm-hmm. take place were from Charles Edward Pogue more than yes. David, and that the dramatic emotional stuff came from David, which would you would guess to be the opposite. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. Um, he had been, although I mean, The Brood is certainly an emotional film, but not quite the same way. I mean, it's more, yeah, well, more the brood of rage. Is, <laughs> it, it, it is born of rage and yeah. his divorce. I mean, yeah. as you know, having worked with David, um, you know, he has, his history infects his films. And I think yeah. infects may be the proper word. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. But I remember I, he even said this. He felt, I thought that's because I, it, it, didn't it come out the same year as, um, Kramer versus Kramer, correct? The brood. Yeah. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And and he maintained, and I, I respect the guy who will say this about his own film, that it was the uh, his was the better movie about divorce that came out that year. And I agree. <laughs> if he does say so himself. If he yeah. does say so himself. <laughs> but I mean, Goldblum's best performance, probably, Gina Davis, and Goldblum and Davis met and got married off of that movie. Oh, that's right. Oh my God, I yeah. know that. Yeah. Thus, but, thus the chemistry. Or yeah. Yeah, just such an amazing accomplishment. And you would expect a movie called The Fly to feel so old fashioned. Mm. And you would expect a studio to change the name because it sounded antiquated. But they went out there, it was Brooks Films, you know, Mel Brooks's company that produced it, did such an amazing job. And they went with it and it was a big success. And you know, led to a sequel that uh, I was the first writer on that is not nearly so revered nor deserving of reverence. But, um, you know, I'm just glad that it has a place in my heart and in my professional. Yeah, no, it's, um, uh, it was nice to see a director that I, that, you know, we'd all loved who had been sort of, I don't want to say at the edges, but, but, you know, it, it was a studio film, at least it felt yeah. like one. Yeah, it well, it, it, but, it was uh, indeed. And, you know, I I kind of, I was promoting Scanners uh, at Avco Embassy, mm. and I put together a film festival of his first four movies, climaxing with Scanners at the, um, oh, the Hollywood Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. Now, now I, now I Ripley's Believe It or Not. Now Ripley's Believe It or Not. <laughs> And I put together a publicity release saying the the acclaimed, revered genre filmmaker. Nobody had ever said that about him. And so, yeah. so all of the press about Scanners talked about from the acclaimed, revered filmmaker, David Cronenberg, that none of them had ever heard about until it was in my press release for this thing. And it, it was great where you could go and see all four of those movies back to back one night only. Uh, yeah started early yeah yeah uh so you didn't you didn't show um my god crimes of the future didn't show what's the race car one oh no fast company no didn't fast Fast company Company. (laughs) but we did show um rabid and the uh, shivers and the brood and then scanners and no crimes of the future uh no stereo nor crimes of the future because they weren't really released movies no they're, they're, they don't really play to a crowd very well either. No. <laughs> Not always the, cri- the new crimes of the future doesn't have much in common with the original. Yeah. Just, I think you, you have a good title and, uh, you know, but, uh, enough, 
enough good things can't be said about the fly, which still holds up beautifully. It's a great yeah, story. yeah. And it's um, funny, it's hard to, it's still, it's like, it's one of those things where, um, you know, I'd love to show my wife, Nancy, because of it, it is such a beautiful love story. But oh, she just, yeah. she, it is also so very defiantly a gruesome horror film. <laughs> it truly is. Yeah. It truly yeah. is. So if you're not a fan of the genre, it's not your entry drug. Yeah. Uh, no, honey, just close your eyes when he pukes acid onto his hand. <laughs> it, it, it does preserve the Cronenbergian tableau of the heroine crying over the body of the, uh, of the hero. You're right. <laughs> it's de rigueur. You're work. absolutely right. <laughs> but it's also kind of the hunchback of Notre Dame in a lot of yeah. ways as well. You know, it's 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 beautifully rendered. Um, and I'm going to mostly concentrate on genre stuff here because it was such a good year for genre film. It, it surely was, yeah. But I'll veer off the path maybe at the end with some things that aren't in the horror genre. But, you know, Aliens. Um, certainly was groundbreaking. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study, not to bring back, but to wipe them out. That's the plan. All right, people, on the ready line. I am me! Yeah! I am me! Talk to me, Hudson. Uh, I got signals. I got readings in front and behind. There's nothing back here. Look, I'm telling you, there's something moving and it ain't us. Get them out of there! I still assert that the first aliens is the uh, first alien is by far the superior of the two. Um, well, the great thing is they're such different movies. It's sort they're of like, totally different. There's, yeah. there's a lot more Rambo in aliens than there was. Yeah. In I mean, that's, it's a, it's a, it's a combat. It's an action film. It's an all out action. film. And so it's great to have a, a, a sequel that doesn't just replicate the original. Yeah. And they, they have two totally different attitudes, but certainly Aliens was such a huge success and changed the course of a lot of how special effects were done and combining kind of military action with science fiction, horror, that sort of yeah. thing. So, it was so uh, brilliant. Um, we, we can't let that go. Um, what, I think they only had four alien costumes. Is that it? There's some, really? some ridiculously small number of alien costumes. And have to ask Bill Malone. He he's the expert on all things alien. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's so well shot. You never you feel like you're looking at hundreds of them, and you're never seeing like more than four or five. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really an accomplishment. Yeah. Um, but for me, the other biggie um, is Stand by Me. Yeah, you know this 
This was at a time when the studios did not put Stephen King's name in the title if it wasn't a horror movie because they thought they would scare off the audience. Mm. And well, this if, they, was, if they'd called it The Body, it would have been more dramatic. Yes, Stephen King's, <laughs> the, Stephen body King's the Body. <laughs> Come on, honey, it's not a horror film at all. Yeah, and, and it's very faithful to, to the novella, The Body, which it's based on. Yeah. But that and uh, Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile, his name is not notable anywhere except in the credit block on the posters mm. and, and the trailers and the like. But Stand By Me was something, if you didn't know it was written by Stephen King, you never would have guessed it. There is so much heart and soul and beauty and, and truth in that movie. That yeah. I didn't see it with him. I didn't know him yet. But um, I remember, Joe, you remember Bill Warren so well, that he went to a screening um, that, uh, that King was at. And... King couldn't talk to anybody afterwards because he was too emotional for like 10 minutes or something. He just couldn't talk. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what, what a feeling too. Cause so many of his things were either done badly or, you know, I still like, or, or done in ways that displeased him. Um, yeah. That had to have been an incredible, uh, incredible film. Well, that, that book too. I remember, what was it? 80, Different seasons. Yeah. 82, something like that. There was like a summer that, that my, my dad and I took a road trip and, and we read the book aloud in the car. Uh, yeah. And I mean, those stories with the exception, there's four stories, right? It's uh, it's Shawshank yeah. Redemption. It's called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, the body yeah. apt pupil. And um, what's the, the last one is the not great one. It doesn't live up to the others. I can't remember. Uh, breathing method. Breathing method. Right. Right. And the other three all became movies, but the other three. Yeah. And it always frustrated the hell out of me. Cause I think of those stories, as much as I love the body app pupils, an amazing short story or novella. Oh, it is. And, and it's it so powerful. Just did not work as a movie. And I always felt that the, the problem with the movie and, and I, I felt this as a young man is that it's dealing with like a real uh, examination of genuine human evil. And I yeah. felt like there's no way that a bunch of 27 year olds can make a movie that will really do that justice. I mean, that's not a, not to dump on uh, who was it? Singer. And Brian Singer. Like, yeah. And, I would have loved and, to have seen some older people take a whack at that perhaps. Who'd yeah. Well, brave for Tom Cruise too. Bravo to him for, for taking on the movie. Wasn't was Tom that? Cruise? No, no, no. It was, uh, who was the lead in that people? I don't even remember. Uh, Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen was the, was the villain. Oh, okay. I'm, yeah, and I can't remember. I'm mixing it up with another movie then. Yeah. Another Nazi. Mission movie. Impossible 3. I think you <laughs> No, no, that another happens Nazi. all the time. Always. <laughs> ah, God, what was it? App Pupil or Mission Impossible 3? So but yeah, stand by me, man. I saw that in Westwood. Like everything, right? Did you see yeah. everything in Westwood yeah. that year? <laughs> Those were the days. And uh try oh, doing that now. Yeah. I, do they even have theaters there? They I do. The village is still open. Yeah. <laughs> the village and the Bruin are still open, I believe. And uh, the village still has the seats from 1936. You know, they're, oh, wow. <laughs> they're not very comfortable there in the days when you get people were smaller. People were smaller. That's true. Yes, it's true. People were, and but people that, yeah, and I remember thinking because it was like, and, and there was this period, and not to take away from anything he did later, but there was that sort of run of the first few uh, Rob Reiner movies. Oh, where yeah, you just couldn't believe yeah. what was happening because they're all so different from each other. Well, starting with Spinal Tap, and then what was the the, the uh, love romance? Yeah, the, the Jack Cusack thing. Um, yeah, when Harry. Well, that was later. No, yeah. that was later. The second one was, um, yeah, with John Cusack. Oh my god, uh, the real thing. 
the real, the real thing. thing. Yeah. Here, I'm, I'm going to look it up and I'll edit this so none of us sound as yeah. numb okay, as good. I am. Um, and you can take out Tom Cruise as well. No, I'm leaving that in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. We, we just edit to make us look better, not... Uh, yeah. <laughs> 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 hey, did you hear Mick Garris say Tom Cruise is an He's people? wrong. Oh, he was such um, a uh, The Sure Thing. Did you say The Sure Thing? The Sure Thing. Yeah. Sure Thing. Yeah, it was Spinal Tap, Sure Thing, Stand By Me, Princess yeah. Bride. Yeah, yeah. When Misery. Harry Sally Misery, it was like Misery. just this run, you know. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a terrific filmmaker and a really smart guy. And wasn't that like River Phoenix's sort of big breakout? I feel like we had not seen big him time. a lot of things before that. Big or? time. I mean, it, it's it's just the cast is perfect. The, it breaks your heart yeah. in ways that movies rarely do, in a very genuine sense, not in a in a boohoo, uh, four-hanky, weepy type thing. Yeah. Yeah, one of one of my favorite films of all time. So those that and the fly are two of probably if I had a top ten, they would both be in it. Oh right, wow, okay. So, uh, and then we'll go in another direction. But the very best Friday the Thirteenth movie, Tommy McLaughlin's Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, Jason Lives, which was Scream before there was Scream. They thought the nightmare was dead. buried. They were wrong. Jason lives. Happy Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, part six. Jason lives. It's very self-referential. There's a lot of really smart humor in it. Um, it, To me, it's by far the best of the Friday movies. Well, I'm trying to remember this is how I even, good Lord, I may have well, there's a lot of them. It's easy to it's easy to get them mixed up. It is. But the, <laughs> is that, that one's got this a guy one, with a hockey mask, right? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this one really stands out because yep. it's genuinely funny. Tommy McLaughlin did it, who, you know, has a, a long history in comedy and and mime even before that. Um, but he wrote and directed it. The sheriff is named Sheriff Michael Garris, but that's not why I love it. Hey. Uh, but it's very clever. This is one Ron Palillo is in it from Welcome Back, Cotter. And um, Jason becomes reanimated by a lightning bolt through a uh, spear through his chest in the coffin and the like. And, uh, okay. it's, it's really, you know, it was... What Wes Craven did with Scream, Tommy did with Part Six. He he knew you couldn't just do the same thing over and over. Although the other eleven or twelve or thirteen parts made, I believe it's forty-three of them that <laughs> But Six really stands out. Part Six, Jason lives, and hmm. you guys, I think even both of you would like it without feeling you're slumming. I really, yeah, I don't remember. So what what about it though? What aside from, I mean, it's got a sense of humor. Is it? Well, that's it. It's smart and the it goes for the scares. It does what the howling does, you know. It it heads you off at the pass, you know. It it knows something's ridiculous when you know something is ridiculous, and it yeah. plays with it in that sense. But it also, as does the howling, takes its scares very seriously. And they they are tropes that are handled creatively, much like in your film, Joe. Um, There are things that you anticipate and want from a horror movie, and it delivers on that end, as well as giving you surprising humor that is very well played. That's an interesting point. I wonder, so so as long as you think, I mean, I think this makes sense. When I think about it, it seems kind of obvious. Yeah, if you you give the audience those scares properly. Yeah. 
you can kind of do almost anything else in, yeah. in the in-betweens, you know? And it's just like if you're a lead singer in a band, if you're also funny, people think you're really funny because it's a secondary thing. You know? Spoken from experience. Huh? Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wasn't as funny as I thought I was, but the audience thought I was. <laughs> oh my God, if I told the, the um, years and years ago, Dan Waters and I did some panel at the uh, LA Film Festival about screenwriting. Uh -huh. And uh, Dan and I together could be pretty damn funny. And it was a, it was a laugh riot. So they invited us to come back the next year, but the next year they positioned it as a comedy thing. Uh -oh. where I was going to be like, these guys are going to be hilarious. <laughs> I believe Ileana Douglas was on this panel with us as well. And it was just, we all just walked in going, this is a train wreck. Cause people came in expecting, you know, a night at the improv. It's like, we're not that we're, we're not comedy guys. In, yeah, if you're expecting two screenwriters, we're hilarious. If you're expecting yes. comedians, we are going to crash and burn <laughs> in front of your very eyes. Yes, audience expectations, you know. Yes. The singer sings songs, but if he's funny on top of that, oh boy, this is really hilarious. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but can he do stand-up? Can he do five minutes of the improv? Not a fucking chance. <laughs> not a minute. Um, I may have to go back to, to Jason. Yeah, back to part, Jason, part but six. but it, it's just really special. It stands out, and and he does things like Landis does, and and that Joe you've done on the Howling and other things is naming characters after directors and and icons uh, of movies that meant a lot to you in the genre in your growing up, and the General Store I think is Karloff General Store, and there 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 are tips of the hat throughout to people who've made these movies. So uh, it, it's just a lot of fun and really worth catching up on if you're ever in the mood. Okay. Because I'll bet neither of you have seen it. I, I think I have, but at a certain point it was- I, I might have seen it when it was new, but, but in order for people to catch it, it isn't Friday the 13th Part 6. It's got an, a, another title, right? It's Jason got, Lives. Jason Lives, okay. Yeah, Jason Lives. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm sure I did. We also used to be very altered for those films, so- <laughs> yeah, sometimes we didn't remember seeing them because we yeah. didn't remember going. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> well, I guess it would usually help. Uh, yeah, because you assume they'd be terrible. That was a hey, right. let's all get blades to go watch this terrible movie. So yeah, yeah worth, and worth especially knowing. with a six in the title. Uh, yeah, that doesn't usually bode well. How many okay, part six <laughs> lightning, lightning round? How many how many good part sixes are there? <laughs> how many part sixes are there? I'm any just Leonard, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this may be the only good one. But, uh, although, know, wait, is uh, is uh, what, what's what's uh, what's Freddy? What's Majesty's Secret Service? I guess that's probably oh oh no, oh. they don't have numbers though. Yeah, I know, <laughs> so that they don't count, that's and they're right. not cheap horror movies. So. That's right. <laughs> so that rules them out. Speaking of cheap horror movies, yes. um, a sequel that is masterful. Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two, I think, is genius. Thirteen years ago, audiences across America were horrified by the savagery of a faceless killer. In the wake of this bizarre rampage, he vanished. Now, after more than a decade of silence, he has come out of hiding. Texas 
Massacre 2, The Buzz is Back, directed by Toby Hooper. I coined a term, the black humor is so dark that I call it red humor. It is so blood-soaked and hilariously funny and so well-constructed and beautifully shot. Um, Toby was working at the heights of his powers. Unfortunately, it was his canon years, which one year, this year of 1986, he also did Invaders from Mars for canon, the, the remake, which has its charms. Um, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, I think, is a horror masterpiece. My, my um, sense of, of those at the time is that kind of um, Invaders from Mars that they were messing with him while he was making it. And it feels like with Saw 2, he was kind of just left to go do his thing. Is that Saw 2, he was left him? alone. And he made yeah. a three-picture deal with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first one was Space Vampires. Or, uh, what did they Life call? Force. Oh, the first Life, Life Force. Yeah, the, yeah, the release title was Life Force. But first was TCM2, which tanked. Nobody went and saw it. They did Life Force, and then he did uh, Invaders from Mars. So that was his canon trilogy. But um, Toby was so into it. And Kit Carson wrote yes. the script, who wrote Paris, Texas. Paris, Texas. Yeah, and so Paris. Kit Carson is not a guy who was particularly well-versed in the horror genre. And did but, he wrote the, the Breathless remake, too, I think. Which Yeah, but I think it was really this relationship with Toby and, you know, he was married to Karen Black and their son is the kid in the lead of Invaders from Mars. That's right. Um, but, uh, but TCM2 is something that it's so nonstop loud and noisy and screechy. You know, if, if you're feeling on edge, don't go see that movie. But well, you it, don't have to see the whole, you can see the burbs and you'll see a little, a little section of the movie. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> that's correct. Yes. That's right. That. But it's a wonderful movie and just the so production cool. design and photography. There's some great steady cam work in the underground uh, sequences. Uh, and Carolyn Williams is so great. Bill Mosley as uh, Chop Top. Just really fantastic performances. And Dennis Hopper. But, you know, you, you get this conglomeration of really fascinating people. And it's out of its mind. You know, this movie is insanity unleashed. And it starts out with a, a, a chili competition, a chili cook-off that the uh, Chainsaw family have entered. And we wonder what the meat in the chili is, of course. <laughs> and talking about building you a little fry house, a French fry house and things like that. But Caroline Williams is fantastic in yep. it. And and just the performances, it it defines over the top, but yeah. in the most beautiful sense. You well, know. you know, the, the, his other uh, life force is also very over the top. Um, <laughs> oh boy, is it you ever! Know, I, I mean, it, it, you really did get a sense that he was kind of getting away with something. You know, <laughs> yeah. with it. I mean, obviously they they fussed around with it as they do with everything, but uh, but it's still a, it's it's a fairly remarkable movie. Yeah, it's his Quatermass movie. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, that is. Yeah. But but it also has Matilda May, who will be who is naked throughout the entire picture. <laughs> gloriously so, if I may say so. Couldn't do that today. Talking about the uh, male gaze. But, right. uh, but the thing, but, I remember I'd been out here long enough and and I read there was wasn't there was like a fairly because I think of Kit Carson's involvement. There was at least one article in in some kind of serious cineast magazine that probably wouldn't have covered it. If it had just been 
you know, Toby. Right. Reading but about from the movie. from the writer of Paris, Texas. Exactly. Like, becomes, I need to, yeah. What what the hell's going on here? This is amazing. And I remember I had not. Uh, in fact, a friend of mine, you know, the movie, I was working on that Masters of the Universe movie, and a friend of mine pointed oh, yeah. me towards. Came from, it was somewhere in the South Bay. It was like, because um, uh, you know, I got to LA. And it was like this is one of the most segregated towns I've ever been in. That has changed a bit <laughs> over the years. When I came from Philadelphia. And I was like, I need to see this movie with a black audience, man. And we found some yeah. theater down in the South Bay and it was just great. It was just like this return to home and people were just loving it and going. Oh, was there a good crowd? Oh, fantastic crowd. Yeah. It was oh, like Friday good. night or Saturday night or something. It was like an hour drive to wherever I had gone. Wow. And I just were thinking this is one of the best times I've ever had in a movie theater. Because it did not do well at all. When I saw it, there were a handful of people in the theater. But yeah. I wasn't in the South Bay, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's a shame, but it's become, I mean, obviously it's much beloved now. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the reviews were terrible. Uh, which were they really? The case. Uh, yeah. How do you, how do you, like, what, what, <laughs> how could you possibly look at that film and go, well, it doesn't. Exist. You know, these movies never got good reviews. Yeah, I, no, this was 1986 <laughs> and all of the mainstream press thought it was gutter garbage and beneath their even bothering to review them. It's you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two. I mean, had they? Well, they probably didn't even go, and I'll bet they didn't screen <laughs> yeah. it for the press. Oh yeah, why would you? Sure. Yeah, exactly. But, but, yeah, no, it's crazy. And then just just Dennis Hopper alone going toe to toe with Leatherface in a chainsaw yeah. duel, man. I mean, that, that, <laughs> yeah, that's, it's like Motel Hell and Roy. Yeah, don't tell me that's not cinema. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pure cinema. Yeah, show me show me something like that in a Godard film. You're never gonna. Find it. <laughs> Never. He didn't do the chainsaw. All, all due respect, he he may have passed. Rest his years. soul. Yeah, he was he was about to do that. I understand. <laughs> no doubt, no doubt. But Joe, did you see it when it came out? I did, I did, I did see it when it came out. Um, because I had seen, I, I was very familiar with the other one because the original, because I was uh, taking pictures to the MPAA at the time, and the uh, and and there was a huge brouhaha about trying to get an R rating for Chainsaw Massacre. Oh really? Uh, when it was it, it became the movie that well, it became the movie that every other filmmaker pointed at and said, "This got an R. How come I don't get an R?" <laughs> you know, and 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 when the trailer when the trailers would come in, because we, we were always seeing trailers and seeing rough cuts of trailers, uh, and people would bring in their trailers, and and the, the guys the the people would just stand up and say, "No!" In, in, in two <laughs> shots into the trailer, they'd stand up and say, "No, you can't do that." <laughs> it was fascinating. I remember when when I made Sleepwalkers, it went back to the MPAA five times to get an R rating. It had to be cut five times. And they wouldn't let me go and talk to the MPAA because they thought I might become too volatile or something. Because <laughs> well, obviously you know they know you. <laughs> <laughs> you know me. Well, but if but what the MPAA didn't realize, and now I guess I can tell this tale out of school, uh, is that uh, once you've gone in and they find, and you've made all those changes that they said they wanted, uh, when I was working for Roger, we would make with David Cronenberg. He and I made all these changes to the brood in order to get the the R rating, and uh, you could only have three and a half hammer blows. You can't have five, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> and so we cut it all, took it took it in there. They approved it. We put it all back in. Released the movie as it had been originally. And they never noticed because these people were so bad at their jobs and so, <laughs> and so, so inured of their psychological profiles that they never bothered to actually see 
the movies when they were released. So they had no idea that so many of the movies that they were making these cuts in weren't being released in the form that they thought they were. Well, I don't think that was ever done on the studio level, but I'm sure Roger got away with a lot. And of course, why would they deign to go back to see something they hated? Well, that was the whole thing, but they didn't even have a movieola. They didn't even have the ability to go through the footage and say, well, last time there was this place here and now it's not there. You know, it was like they were just completely ignorant of the whole process of making it. Well, it seems films. to be more work to have to do that and then have to keep a list of all the things and then go back. And I, I, let me posit an alternate theory. Perhaps they were all very sad people who hated their lives, Joe, and that they were really just at the end of the day hoping that you would do that. <laughs> at the very least, please, God, please, God, just release this movie the way it's meant to be seen. Ignore me. I'm trash. I'm garbage. <laughs> I'm sure you're right, Josh. <laughs> I had a, I had a friend who worked there and uh, oh, would, would okay, tell me so not the case. tell me tell me stuff uh, under the under the radar, and uh, they they were not a very bright group of people. <laughs> well, they weren't supposed to be bright. They were supposed to be representative. That's right. Oh God, damn! That's hilarious. I've all, I've always loved that. I I hope I. I hope a lot of movies did that, not just not just Rogers. Not en- not enough, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm sure a studio wouldn't dare to do that, but uh, but anyway, '86 was Texas Chainsaw Two and Invaders from Mars. So a lot of our iconic filmmakers within the genre were deep into their careers here and, yeah. and putting out a lot of stuff. And you know, it, it was a very healthy year for the genre, um, and including the late great Stuart Gordon. I mean, two of our recently passed heroes, Toby and Stuart Gordon. Stuart did From Beyond, another H.P. Lovecraft, and Ed Naha's script, Dolls, both in 1986. Yeah, which is really good. Every journey begins in the mind. (laughs) A flight of imagination. A vision of what might lie across the universe. Or within the deepest regions of the subconscious. Dr. Edward Pretorius is about to embark on such a journey. It's out of control. You've got to turn it off. Something's coming. What the hell is that? I'm going to kiss you. (laughs) Let it happen, Crawford. Such easy prey. From the makers of Reanimator, from beyond. From beyond, you know, after Reanimator, nothing could meet that. Nothing could equal the greatness of Reanimator. But from beyond comes pretty close. And it's the same cast with Jeffrey Combs and with Barbara Crampton again, and H.P. Lovecraft and and uh, sex and science and and everything that Stewart is so good for. And and he's a guy, even his, in his films, you don't know when he's joking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he, he had the most wonderfully wry sense of humor. Um, and he's another guy who came from the stage. 
the organic theater was the theater troupe that that he ran in Chicago back in the day, kind of next to Steppenwolf, uh, doing the same things, uh, different things at the same time, whereas Stewart set out to outrage. And uh, doing that in Reanimator and then his follow-up from beyond. But when we were making the Black Cat episode of of, uh, Masters of Horror, I remember him saying, well, there's a scene where a cat gets his eye stabbed out. And he's going, well, you just get a cat from the, the pound, and then, you know, we just stab his eye out. And it's, Stuart, aside from the fact that I'm a vegan uh, and you an animal rights that. guy, you can't do that. Wouldn't be legal. And he said, oh, then nobody would ever know. And, and it's Canada, not U.S. So. Please don't tell me he actually did it. No, he didn't do it. Oh, no. thank God. Okay. No, but there's a, he's just there, fucking with you, right? There's a there's another yes. movie, uh, uh, an exploitation movie from the 30s called Maniac, oh, by yeah. Dwayne Esper, in which which they actually do that exactly uh, uh, on camera. Uh, uh, well, I tell myself we, that animal's been dead for a hundred years now, and it probably would have. I, I think the story was that it was a cat who had lost an eye already, and so they put in a fake one. Uh, <laughs> but oh, I, I wasn't I, there. I wasn't there, so I don't know. That sounds like a covering your ass story to me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Stewart was such a great filmmaker and such yeah. a great guy. I mean, we all knew him. And he didn't he didn't give up on the stage either because one of the one of the best things he ever did, I think, was his reanimator stage. Yes, the music. Uh, oh, the reanimator mu- the musical so which has which the, it, you couldn't you couldn't see the movie without getting uh, plastic. Yes. The, over the first four rows of yeah, the first four five rows, right? Don't sit close. Because of the spatter. <laughs> yeah. Very and, funny. And his wonderful one man Poe show. Poe show. Yes. Combs, oh, oh, yeah, that was great too. Was yeah, very good. Yeah, Jeffrey really, really good. So, I saw them both in the same place. Now that oh, yeah, the Steve Allen Theater. It's yeah, not there anymore. I got to say, no. one of my favorite, favorite, favorite moments of, of like, um, I'm so happy to be part of Trailers for Palace. Remember, a bunch of us went to see Reanimator Musical together. And there was just this moment when they all started doing the um, uh, the thriller dance from the Michael Jackson video. Oh. <laughs> and we're sitting there with the director of the thriller video who's bobbing his head. There's Landis, like having a great time. I, I have a very close relationship with that movie, too, since I was one of the zombies. That is correct. I forget, <laughs> yes, yes, that's right. That's right. Um, but But Stuart was so brilliant. And yeah, it was thrilling to see him go back to the stage and do it so well and so yeah. successfully, you know, and, and Jeffrey Combs was so good in that role. I remember seeing the very first night and could feel his own tension, then went back to see it like a week later. And he was just so completely sucked into it. You know, it, 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 he became Poe so perfectly yeah. and relentlessly. It was gorgeous work you know Stuart was a huge doris day fan <laughs> i didn't know that <laughs> absolutely true he did, he did calamity jane well, obviously you can see it in the world oh <laughs> uh, that that's wow i guess it's surprising but maybe i'll just uh, listen to his commentary it's very funny that's <laughs> great um well, and of course, John Carpenter was hard at work. Big Trouble at, uh, in Little China. Oh, yeah. was another one of his iconic movies that uh, people love to this day. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a 
pretty amazing planet we live on here. And a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. There is a hidden world where ancient evil weaves a modern mystery. What's going on here? Is this some kind of... Magic. The darkest magic. They call it Little China. Finally, we shall bring order out of chaos. It's where big trouble was waiting for Jack Burton. Who? Jack Burton. Me. Jack. Jack. Jack! They told him to go to hell. He make one move. And that's just where he's going. Somebody, I don't care who, tell me what is going on. Bringing in, a, you know, Asian martial arts technology into a uh, Kurt Russell movie, which was was that did that do? I imagine that didn't do well, right? It tanked. Yeah, it didn't do well, and also they 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 gave him a lot of trouble. It was not yeah. a, it was not a pleasant experience for him. Because I mean, that, even at the time, that struck me as an amazing feat, just getting that thing made in that environment. Like, uh, I feel like you John have to, did not have a happy time with the studios. Yes. Who does? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I know your explorer's experience, Joe, was well, so that was, that, that was the nadir, but I mean, it, it, it's always a struggle yeah. to try to get whatever it is that you on the screen through the yeah. phalanx of people who don't want your personality to be visible. Well, I remember you telling me something once during the making of Explorers when I was doing the making of the documentary. You said, do you know how hard it is to come in to work every day knowing the movie you're making is not the movie you want to be making and having to put on that, that happy face and be there for your cast and your crew and all of that and feeling like you've been stabbed in the back a third of the way into the movie you're making. Yeah, you sure that was just the explorers? Oh, well, that broke my heart. I'd never thought about that and, I, and seeing that and, and you being so open about that. And yet walking onto the set and seeing you really into it and, and especially with a young cast like that, that needed a, a, a strong director to, to hold them all together and be their best friends. It was, it was really inspiring to watch. And I, I want to thank you for that as a guy who hadn't started directing yet to, to add that to the arsenal. Well, luckily you didn't start directing for Paramount. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the movie turned out great, even though not what it could have been. And it's so fondly remembered. And people- It is fondly remembered, which is, which is nice, but it's not, not what I had you. in mind. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. well, that was, that's the wrong year. So you got- uh, Okay, yeah. we're out in 1983. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, hey, then uh, remember that year your mother got murdered? No, let's, let's stop <laughs> yeah. and talk about that for a while. Let's talk about that, yeah. You said something Sorry. at the time about uh, just the anguish of getting people like your mom being murdered. <laughs> I didn't mean to pour the salt in. <laughs> it's not the intent. Uh, I was Luckily, here to give you admiration. Similar experiences. Yeah, never, ever. No. Yeah. Um, Henry, portrait of a serial killer. Otis, plug it in. Did you really kill your mama? What? Did you really kill your mama? I guess I did. She must have treated you real bad. She was a whore. 
used to dance naked? Sure, all the time around town. Otis. Best little naked dancer you ever saw. You never. You're telling me you never killed anybody before? I ain't saying that. Open your eyes, Otis. Look at the world. It's either you or them. You know what I mean. Do that, Otis. She's your sister. Talk about it. Yeah, a delightful romp. Uh, <laughs> but John McNaughton really yeah. did something incredible with that movie. The fact that it was theatrically released is still mind-boggling. It did care. I don't know if it was unrated or was rated X. It was one. I of think the, it was unrated. Yeah, I think but, the, the the feeling at the time was that if you didn't rated X, it wouldn't be considered X rated. <laughs> but it just right. you, there were just so many places you couldn't play without a rating. Yeah, and you couldn't advertise right. it. But but uh, yeah, you couldn't advertise it in the newspapers or on television if it had an X rating. If you were lucky, you'd get radio ads and uh, who knows where else because there was no internet at the time. So it really... Hard to believe. Killer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Midnight Cowboy was an X rated movie in 1967 yeah. and uh, it's back when it just meant it was intended for adults yeah that had to be before well but then when that when the porno industry see they, they the mistake they made was they didn't copyright the numbers yes. the x's and that right you could self-administer and so anybody could steal the and and so the porno guys came in and said we're going to do x and triple x and then, you know and then all of a sudden the x was like poison and along comes nc-17 which still carried the same onus with advertisers. It just wasn't as sexy because it wasn't an X. Yeah, because <laughs> X is the last letter in sex. So after <laughs> But um, that is a powerful movie and made Michael yeah. Rooker's career. Um, McNaughton was great. It's why I brought him in to do an episode of Masters of Horror as well uh, from a Clive Barker story. Um, but what a powerful film. Tom Towles is terrifying as well. Um, maybe the most terrifying thing in it. But just the relentlessness and the humorlessness of it. This was a serial killer movie that wasn't fun. Um, you wanted to shower afterwards, but you were glad to have gone through the experience. It was, and it was fact-based, fact wasn't it? Yeah, based on uh, Henry, um, what's his I, Oh, yeah. Henry Lee Lucas. Yeah, Henry Lee Lucas. Um, Another one of those inspired names. by. They I don't know. I'm there with Cracker Ohanian. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, guys, what are your middle names? That's how you need to be remembered. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but that was incredibly powerful. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and you saw it yeah. in the theater, obviously. I did. I did all of these. I was lucky enough to see in the theater. I would go to the movies two to three times a week because there were that many movies that I was interested in seeing. Yeah. So, um, Blue Velvet. I didn't Ugh. put that on the list I sent you, Josh, but uh, David God. Lynch's Blue Velvet. Yes. I uh, found one here. You did? A human here? Yeah, I thought I should bring it to you. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. There are opportunities in life for gaining knowledge and experience. Sometimes it's necessary to take a risk. 
and I got to thinking, I'll bet someone could learn a lot by getting into that woman's apartment. You know, sneak in, hide, and observe. Sneak into her apartment? Yeah. Are you crazy? Jeffrey, she's possibly involved in murder. Just for historical purposes alone, because it launched that David Lynch world into the world. And again, when I saw a screening of it, I didn't know what to think of it. And was were those laughs intentional in the audience? That were they intended? Were they ironic? What it was about? And it it took me a second or third time to just see how deeply funny the movie was. But just to have a national release of a slice of David Lynch's oddball psyche laid out on the screen in that way. And again, another whacked out Dennis Hopper performance. Yeah. So he had two classics that year, uh, at least. And, and it's just so imaginative and so not like anything else. I mean, you start with just going deep, deep, deep into the lawn until you see the severed ear and you know yeah, you're, it sums up the whole movie. It does. And, <laughs> and the, the lawn sprinkler is going so gently and calmly. And, and, and the fake birds that, yeah. that, are, that are sort of, they're supposed to be real, but we know they're not. But, but <laughs> she thinks they're real. Um, it's, and and is, is it post, supposed to be funny? You know, And this is post-Dune, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Dune. Yeah, it was, yeah. Just, it was sort of like, it was almost like, because the surprise was there was all this hope Remember when Dune came out, it was like, oh my God, the guy did a racer head. He's doing this. Yeah. I think, yeah. I guess he'd, he'd done Elephant Man too, which. Um, right. Well, Elephant which got him Dune, but because uh, that yeah. was class. You know? but it was and then like, it was wow. De, Laurentiis, De Laurentiis let him do whatever he wanted to, and that was Blue, Blue Velvet. After but it was now. like you felt like there was a moment there where Dune seemed to like kill his career. So it was the fact that he got to come yeah. back. Well, and you got to hand it to Dino. I mean, he, 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 he came through on his word. He said, if you do yeah. this for me, I'll let you do one for me. You know? and, and, yeah. and after Dune was not a success. Uh, and everybody was raked over the coals. He still let him make Blue Velvet. He let him make Blue Velvet. Yeah. It was also not a success, but it was an attention getter and yeah. a really special piece of work. And it was so, anytime you can see a filmmaker with his own, his or her own personality reflected on the screen, it's exciting. You know, it's, it's, it's a time to celebrate, whether you necessarily like it or not. That's something else. But to see somebody who's got a unique cinematic expression is always thrilling to me. And I, I, I always enjoy that. And, and I had seen it at a screening before the movie came out. And oh, wow. it baffled me. But then I saw it the week that it came out. And it was like, I don't understand it more than I did the first time, but I appreciate it more than I did the first time. Mm. There is, I know I've talked about it before, and I apologize to people who've heard this and whatever, but obviously a lot of people will not have. Um, there's an amazing Blu-ray of it, uh, which where, um, where would you get it, Joe? Movies <laughs> Unlimited, I bet. That's right. <laughs> not only huge fans of our show, showing very good taste, uh, but they also feature many of the movies we discuss here, so you can easily find them to add to your collection. Sure, you can stream a lot of stuff these days, but when you buy your favorites, you watch what you want, when you want, and there's always a ton of great content and bonus features like director commentaries, deleted scenes, and all sorts of goodness that you just don't get on those streaming channels. So should you find uh, your hands idle uh, while listening to our podcast, you can uh, go to your uh, computer and click the Movies Unlimited banner on our website. 
and buy your favorites, old and new movies, at MoviesUnlimited.com, where shipping is always free on orders over $50. And, and who orders anything that isn't already $50? So go spend that money. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Um, uh, say, Mick, where do you buy Blu-rays? But, uh... <laughs> well, uh, now... <laughs> Goddamn right. Um that has something he had never done this before. There's a long time where just like everything that came out, it was just, here's the movie. And if there was any kind of supplementary thing, it would just be like, you know, a long shot out of a window for 40 minutes or something. <laughs> yeah. you know, kind of, but this thing, actually, there's an hour of outtakes and, and delete or deleted scenes. Wow. And I got to tell you, it is, it is so worth watching. It's, it's the insight it's going to give you is so different from what you expect to. Because, what did you learn from that? Well, there's not a frame of Dennis Hopper. Which is interesting because you're like, because yeah, because you do not throw away in anything of Dennis Hopper in that movie. Uh, but what was fascinating to me is that almost every scene is just terrible. And that oh. he had another idea entirely this whole history of Kyle McLaughlin's character in college, who's like watching people. He's like a voyeur in college. Wow. And there's long conversations about what brand of beer you drink. And what was fascinating to me, you know, because we all think secretly, you know, of course, we're all frauds and terrible at what we do. I was like, oh my God, I have written scenes maybe this bad, but I know to cut them before they go into the script that anybody reads. David Lynch doesn't realize how bad they are until after he's filmed them. And, and that sort of made me feel a little bit more like he's a human being, you know, there's something accessible yeah. there about his creativity. But the fact that he shoots all this stuff and you can see the shape of a different movie there and then can carve away all that crap to get to blue velvet is just phenomenal to me because it's, it's, um, it just gives you a whole different insight into his process and well, his um, artistic sensibility really steered him in the right direction. Yeah. I remember just, seeing him a couple of times having lunch with Richard Matheson at Dupar's uh, and what I, I only dream of what that collaboration would have spawned. Yeah. Yes, though, for sure. It's just, I, yeah, it, it's a, um, it's always fascinating to me to see that people, especially there's always something effortless about his stuff. You know, yeah. Like, no, there's, there's a lot of work going on there and that, that, but, that I somehow mean, I, makes me appreciate it even more, you know? Yeah. I mean, I wonder what Mulholland Drive would have been like, uh, uh, as a TV series because originally that was a pilot. Yeah. And then they shot additional footage to turn yeah. it into the, the full. Well, and you, when, you watch, when you watch that movie, you think, there's Dan Hedaya. I wonder what he was supposed to do. Yeah, where is he going to go? Because he's only got one scene. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Robert Forster, I think, has one scene. Uh, and, and they obviously were supposed to come back at some point during whatever it is that he planned for the, for the series. But then once he decided to make it into a feature, uh, I think he just thought of something. Of, what, what can I do? It's like, what can I do yeah. with this? Stuff, yeah, yeah. You know? It, it, it's just a thought process unlike anybody else's. Yeah. yeah. Well, his, his, remember his comic strip, The Angriest Dog in the, the, angriest world, dog in the world, which never changed except or, for the, the only thing that ever changed was the, was the, the, the caption in the last shot. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was in the LA it, Weekly every it week. It was it was it was the it was the most cost effective um, <laughs> strip ever. Do you, you guys check it. in for his weather reports on uh and on his weather social reports media. are hilarious? Yeah. It's fun. His weather reports. Yeah, he oh, just looks out the great. window and tells you what it's doing. <laughs> so we're here in Los Angeles and it's sunny. <laughs> Tuesday. It's well, Tuesday. Uh, and oh, I golly. love seeing him as an actor. That's yes. a... well, apparently he's great in the new Spielberg movie. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't it? know he was in. He plays, he plays John Ford. Wow! Oh, oh that's wow. a great choice. Yeah. So I want to see him in an eye patch. I hear it's a love letter to cinema. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of those. Yes. So another one that I really like that is genre adjacent is something wild. Should not be uh, subject to anti rules. Charles S. Driggs, upwardly mobile, uh, recently promoted House in the Suburbs, father of two. The usual closing, Charles S. Driggs. At 2.30 on a Friday afternoon, what's about to happen to Charles is something wild. I'm Lulu. Charles, pleased to meet you. Wait, 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 where, where are we going? You don't turn around and take, take me back. You're going to make me do something that I don't want to do. I can hardly wait, <laughs> I've never done anything like this before. <laughs> Don't worry, Charlie, I have. I mean, look straight, you know, but right down in here, that's where it counts. Deep down, I got what it takes. Which is a very special Jonathan Demi movie. It starts out as a romantic comedy. I was going to say, talk about a total shift in the middle. And uh -huh. then Ray Liotta comes into the picture and all bets are off and it becomes an unbelievably excruciating thriller i mean the tension is so good and demi is was such a good filmmaker and threw you completely off course you know melanie griffith oh boy we're gonna have a good time working girl you know and uh, boy it does not go anywhere you expect it to go yeah. and it's all the more beautiful for that it's anxiety level is so fun because the the there's for that first half you know it's yeah. like there's a little bit of anxiety as she drags him into his her crazy world but you're like yeah. eh, how bad could it be it's gonna be and then yeah and then you get there it's so much worse oh <laughs> so much worse than anybody could anticipate yeah also the first time i ever saw ray liotta in a, in a movie. yeah that and, was a big breakthrough for sure well it it made him all the more frightening because you're not watching an actor playing this part you're watching yes. the part yeah. And it's so potent when you get an unfamiliar face who is so good and so strong and so powerful. And, you know, from all reports I've heard, the guy's the nicest guy in the world to work with. Yeah. Um, but boy, yeah. can he play nasty. Well, it's always why I, I always liked, I mean, I think his performance is great too, but I always thought Brian Cox was a better Hannibal Lecter because we'd pretty much never seen him either when he showed up in that. And there's that sense. Well, that's another like man film. That's another uh, 1986 movie, by the That's way. That's right. Oh, is, shit. Were you gonna... Yeah, which was one I was going to talk about as well, which is the first well, let's time. Let's do it. <laughs> first time we saw uh, Brian uh, uh, Hannibal Lecter. Intruder entered through kitchen sliding door. Nationwide victims. Yeah, this is Will Graham of the FBI. One killer. This is what the subject's teeth look like. 
And Brian Cox was amazing in that. You know, so totally different. The movie itself is very different and never would have won five Oscars like Silence of the Lambs did and did not do particularly well. But I think it's another Dino production, if I'm not. Yeah, it is. Yeah. There's actually an article in Spy about how Dino would make these amazing films and then just like Blue Velvet and Manhunter and then market them so badly nobody saw them. But yeah, (laughs) that was a revelation. Brian Cox was, again, an actor I was not familiar with who brought such depth and power to that role that it's like, holy shit. Yeah. And and, uh, let's see, it was based on Red Dragon, wasn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 So. Uh, who Which is it safe to say now? And but I've also like if you watch the uh, the other version of that, and you hold it up against Manhunter. To me, it was always Brett like Ratner if you, version. If was you it need, Brett to, yeah. If somebody asks you, um, what does a director do? Because they're so very similar. Both are very faithful in the most part to the book. Yeah. You show them Red Dragon and you show them Manhunter. There will be no more questions as to what a director <laughs> does and does not do. That's a great example. That's it's a really, really great. incredible. Yeah. But I, I feel like, especially because he's always behind bars was part of me. You already knew that Michael Mann was this guy who, you know, fires real guns on the set and everything. It might be a little like, did they get a real serial killer to come play this guy? <laughs> <laughs> terrible. There's a sense of danger there. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love going into a theater and not feeling safe. Like, yeah, it's a massacre or, or yeah. Hell. yeah. Yeah, or Tom Noonan too, which I don't think I, I certainly hadn't seen him in anything before. Yeah. Oh, and, and he did a lot of comedies and things, you know? Yeah. Very yeah. versatile actor. If you wanted to not feel safe, you should have gone to the movies on 42nd street. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I did once, uh, when I, I don't remember why I was there, but it was That's, for when I, when, the first time I was over on, on 42nd street of seeing movie, there was a guy peeing off the balcony. <laughs> there you go. Oh, God. oh, I saw Parasite in 3D there when I was working for Avco Embassy. I saw Q, you'll love this, Mike. I saw Q in the very theater in which, do you remember the lizard flies over New York? Yeah. A bunch of people run out of a movie, a 42nd Street movie theater, and look up in the air and get blood all over them. I saw it in that theater. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> How great is that? Yes. How that. That's like seeing Blazing Saddles at the Chinese when <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> which Chinese. I did. Yeah. <laughs> oh uh, no, I saw it at a screening at Warner Brothers, which also it takes place at Warner Brothers. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which was great. So I think that's ten or eleven. But there are still some off-topic ones that were really impressive to me from that year. If you got another few minutes. Yeah. Oh, for you, I suppose. <laughs> well, we talked about it on on the music episode that I did with you. And that's Absolute Beginners. Who the hell is one moving round here? Trouble! We don't want the black soldiers! A British musical with all of the rock stars of the day. It's brilliant. The Brits hated it. It was a total flop everywhere. But it's so imaginative. Julian Temple, who was a big-time music video director of the day, this was like a collection of great music videos in, uh, in order to tell a story. But it still has so much life and verve and beauty and 
David Bowie and, and, you know, Ray Davies of the Kinks and all these great performers of the era uh, writing original songs for this. And, and that was thrilling to me. Um, 52 Pickup is a John Frankenheimer film that not many people remember. Oh, I love that movie so much. Really powerful. Harry Mitchell, successful businessman, loving husband, a man who has now become the perfect target. Sit down, sport. Look, Mitch, you've seen some of this before. Stuff your girlfriend shop while your wife thought you were at a convention in Miami. Mitch, you're in very serious trouble. You pay us 105 grand a year for the rest of your life. No! They're ruthless. The cops find a body with no clothes on, the gun with your prints all over it. Desperate. They got an airtight case against me. It's my gun. I'm scared, Mitch. The only thing they didn't count on was Mitch having a plan of his own. I want to deal only with you. How much did the man say he was going to give you? I'm going to pay them 52000 I know. They're plotting me out. He's a murderer. I'll meet you at 7 Slick on the button. I'll be there. John Glover is great. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. right, sport. And it's really hard ass. It is tough and edgy. And it's Roy Scheider and Anne Margaret and uh, really sexy and and gritty and and propulsive and tense. I mean, and, the great, you wonder how good it is. Um, they were showing it at Cinefamily once. It's now out on Blu-ray and, and, and great. And you should find it if you haven't. It's oh, the first I must, great, I haven't first seen great Elmore Leonard crime movie, I think. The first time one of his really? books Ooh. had been done right, I feel. And uh, I, they were showing it at Cinefamily, um, the late lamented Cinefamily. And I got there somehow early. And um, uh, the manager, Adrian, came out. He's like, oh, shit, we're so screwed. I go, why? He's one of the theaters. Like, we've sold out. But the print never got here. Oh, and I had at the time, there was a terrible pan and scan DVD of it, which oh, I no. had as a huge fan. I said, well, I've got that. He's like, we got to show that because they would throw things like that up there. Oh, yes and no. I mean, yes, obviously, you'd much rather see the film. But what was amazing is a terrible pan and scan DVD thrown up on a giant screen. It's in a family played to an audience like gangbusters. That movie's wow. so good. They were like, they didn't give a shit. They were just loving it. So. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I have that old DVD. I haven't seen the movie since it Get came. rid of it. Get the Blu-ray. Um, Clarence Williams and uh, oh, God, John Glover. Yeah. Well, the best Star Trek movie came out in 1986, Star Trek IV, The Voyage. What? 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 How, what? No? No. Oh, oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> I, I think it's way up there. I, like I rarely it. fight with a guest, Joe. Can I have permission to unleash my... That's the one with the whales. Yeah, it's a yeah, good that's one. the whale. It's one. a really good one. It's the one with the whales. What do you mean? Yeah, it's, it's yeah. terrific. <laughs> How bad Wrath of Khan, hands down. There's no Star Trek movie that comes close to Wrath of Khan. Yeah, really. yeah. Well, that's what Nick oh. Meyer thinks, but you know. Oh. <laughs> oh. I mean, the whales are fine. I like the whales a lot. It's uh, oh, Leonard Nimoy did a good job. He did a terrific job, but it, it's not the best. You can't say it's the best. It's the well, well, let me say my favorite. Okay, that's because yeah, that's, that, it that, is that, your that's favorite qualifier. Not, that's, yes, yeah, yes. it's my favorite Star Trek. All right, I'm going back to my neutral corner. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm I'm prepared for a fight because no, he's, I, I give in. 
he likes to beat up the guests, but don't, I did, don't, I, don't I, take I did it pick a fight with Scott Atkins when he was on. So <laughs> no, <laughs> I give in. Faster. So please do your worst. <laughs> I just roll over onto my back with my arms and. <laughs> I, I will also say this, and not because I do love Khan so much, but do you, do you remember? I mean, were you the the just the heartbreak of the first Star Trek movie? Oh you yeah, know, people try well, to. Like, oh it, well, it's it's like no, it was. But I mean, it's, it's not fair. I mean, that, that poor movie was just so beat up. I mean, yeah. it was like being being mixed while it, there were no shots. You know, sure. I don't know all, 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 all the <laughs> poor Robert Wise. I feel for all of them. But as a kid, you're like, they're going to make a Star Trek movie. That's in the you go off and you're like, oh, it's this. And then yeah. they, you hear they're like they're giving him about one tenth of the budget. And they're giving him one more shot on this grubby little movie, and they got the guy who did time after time to do it. And you're like, oh, it could be. And it's fucking Wrath of Khan. I still like that is still one of the greatest movie theater experiences I've ever had. I think like, well, that's we, we're, we were just like hanging off the ceiling, screaming like, you know, apes at that thing. Like, ah! I, I wasn't a huge, <laughs> you know, when Star Trek was on TV in 1968, I watched them all. Right. But, you know, I, I did not continue my love with Star Trek with the following mm -hmm. series and the like. But so I was never a Trekker or Trekkie, whichever right. you choose to use these days. Um, but that one really worked for me. It had, oh, well, it's, yeah, it's the great one to take someone who's not a big, you can even, you don't have to be a huge Trek fan even to enjoy it. It's just a yeah, great. Yeah. And it's self-contained, yep. which uh, a lot of the best sequels are self-contained. You don't have to have yeah. seen like Pearl, for example, is a great sequel to Ty West's X, but you mm. don't need to see X to see Pearl. It's right. a terrific movie and really stands up well on its own. I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. Not yet, but seeing it uh, this week. Pretty special. Um, so also off genre, Martin says he did an amazing job with The Color of Money, yes. which was a sequel to The Hustler some 20 years later. He's got the eye, he's got the stroke, he's got the flake. Vincent's the best. We got a racehorse here, a thoroughbred. You make him feel good, I teach him how to run. I'm not your daddy, I'm not your boyfriend, so don't be playing games with me. I'm your partner. I made money. I lost money. I got half of me that says I got a hold of the best thing that I ever seen, and half of me that says it just ain't worth it. Why'd you take a walk? 500 bucks says you choke right now. You used me! Yes, I did. I'm gonna leave. This is Fan City Felson. Who the hell are you? 25 years ago, I won my share of medals. But it was over for me before it really got started. Against. See some heavy legend action. I won his best game. You want my game? You couldn't deal with my game, Jack. You're outmanned. I'm gonna beat him, you know. What makes you so sure? Touchstone Pictures presents. You smell what I smell? Smoke? Money. The color of money. It's a really terrific movie. Tom Cruise and Paul Newman together. Both of them really at the height of their powers and really having a great time. And it really showcases Scorsese's technical talents. You know, mm -hmm. just his way with a camera and editing and movement and all that stuff is is so well served by this story or yeah. vice versa. Yeah. And, and great Richard Price really script. 
Well. Yeah, yeah, we just watched that again the other day. I think because of uh, we were watching that Ethan Hawke series, and we've been sort of doing a lot of Paul Newman movies. And ah, how did I, it? Hold- I, it it holds up. I've never been. There's some Tom Cruise movies I've liked, but I've never been the Tom Cruise guy. But I realized he's so whether it's him, his performance, or his his use by Scorsese, because I don't care who you are, you're in seeds with Paul Newman. And that's the relationship they have. It's like this guy is kind of in awe of the dude he's in a room with and trying to, you know, trying to match him, but he knows he might not be able to. And that really comes through. It works for his performance. Yeah. Like a little bit of nervousness whenever Paul and Newman is just amazing. And I'm like, God, he's so good. He's and so they're good. the two most charming actors of their individual uh, eras. Right. You know, Cruz still maintains that, that charm and charisma. I mean, of course, Talking Tom Cruise, 1986 was the year of Top Gun, a movie which to this day I've still never seen. Well, you, you don't have to see it in order to enjoy the sequel. Well, I saw the sequel and I Oh, did, did you? Well, I'm still, I'm still uh, O for O for both of them. So. Well, oh, well, the sequel is good. And, you know, what, what really impressed me about the sequel when I saw it, and, uh, and it's, a, it's designed to be seen and heard in a movie theater. That's one yes, of the good right. things about it, uh, is that he has a little intro that he does where he, in, he, he talks to the audience before the movie and welcomes them to the theater yeah. and says, thank you for coming and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's just such a great piece of PR that you really see why this guy has managed to stay on top, despite all the commentaries and all the missteps and all the Scientology and all that other mess. He's, he's, he is a movie star and he knows, yeah. he knows his play, he knows who he is and he knows who his audience is and he respects them. And yeah. it's, it's, it's impressive. It's so much better than Nicole Kidman at the AMCs. <laughs> Nicole, man, if I see that thing one more time, I mean, they, if you go to AMC, they'll run uh, like the usual 50 trailers. Yeah. And then they, and then, and you think, okay, fine, the trailers are over. We can see the movie. Then on comes the shot of Nicole Kidman's feet stepping in water. <laughs> and you know that you're going to have to listen uh, to another two or three minutes of the worst written crap uh, about how movies are good for you that yeah. you will ever see. It's and, it's, and it's over and over and over. And anytime you, and, and they say, here's buy a pass, come to the movies three times a week. Good. Then you have to watch her three times a week. <laughs> so every time you go to the movie, you're going to have to see this awful short that she's, that she's in. Oh. And it, and I understand that it's, it's done so well for them that they have hired the guy back to do a sequel. Oh, <laughs> like another one. Because people moan and groan. When of course, as they well should. Yeah. yeah, yeah, including. But me. do you remember? By the way, speaking of '86, I see, and I, I don't know how long they've been going on here. But there was a period of a few years in LA where the LA Times did those great little pre-show things. Oh yeah, and they yeah. cycle them out every few months. I remember there was like a great one with Stuntman, and I mean they were really like but they were little movies. They were yeah. entertaining. Yeah, they were behind they, the scenes looks into Hollywood. Or, yeah. or else they do that thing where there was the cowboys who are like involved in a shootout and try to figure out where the bad guy is. And then they get annoyed that somebody's talking in the theater. And, <laughs> <laughs> they were, they were, I miss those. Those I miss. I, uh... Yeah, I love the John Waters did one uh, about people talking in theaters and stuff that used to yes. play at the, uh, the old New Art. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and then one more from another iconic filmmaker who is certainly uh, in... Uh, Me Too Jail uh, but Hannah and her sisters There's something very lovely and real about Hannah She gives me a very deep feeling of being part of something Did you ever read this one? 
Elliot, don't. I'm in love with her. You, you mentioned to me yourself that you and Elliot were having some problems. You were having problems, some problems that are my business, which I don't see how you could know about in such detail. It's a good thing we had a talented daughter. I can only hope that she was mine. With you as her mother, her father could be anybody in actor's equity. Two months ago, you thought you had a malignant melanoma. Naturally, I, I, you know, I had the sudden appearance of a black spot on my back. It was on your shirt. I'm gonna cry. You want my husband to have a child with you? Yeah, don't answer now. Just, you know, take it home and think about it for a while. God, I should have married you years ago when you wanted to. I should have agreed. Oh, God, don't you know it never would have worked? It's an epiphany of the soul, if you know what I mean. I... No, I know exactly what you mean, Don. I don't know if you remember me, but we had the worst night of my life together. I think one of Woody Allen's best movies. I think the performances are great. It's not a comedy, um, but it really works. The drama is terrific. It's engaging. All of these cast members from, you know, uh, Michael Caine and, and, it, it just uh, Barbara Hershey and, and of course, Mia Farrow and uh, uh, Max von Sydow. Just, it's really great stuff. Really great stuff. He's getting out of the picture business. Yeah, no, his not. next movie's his last one, he claimed. Nope, nope. he actually is taking it back. Oh, oh, yeah. So a bunch of critics complaining on Twitter today. He's like, God damn, we all just did our 10 best list. And now he's like, nah, I'm going to keep making movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's 86 and still going. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what he does. Yeah, that's for sure. So there's my peek into 1986. Well, it's, it, it, was, it was illuminating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was fun to do it with you guys. Yes, well, we're, we're glad you did where you were. Honored that you did it with us, Mick. That was, that was wonderful. Yeah, and I just, I got it really And we're glad you picked 1980, 1986 and not 1999. Yeah, almost went for 99, but 86 is more fun. Yeah. Uh, so, okay, fun. Josh, you can do 99. No, I've, I've already done He's that. already done his. Oh, uh, what did you do? I did 1992. Ah, also a good one. Joe, what did yes. you do? I didn't do one yet. Joe's okay, afraid. So you can do 99. Joe's afraid. Joe thinks I was going to do mine, and then we got you to do yours, and we got Alan Arkish to do his, and so I, I, I don't have to do it. Oh, now you're not going. There I'll, are do, a lot I'll of do it when we run out, as we, which is the reason <laughs> we're doing these. <laughs> Well, thank you for inviting me. It was a uh, real absolutely, man. A great excuse to have you back and to say hello and to freak out and have the fact that you've not aged a frigging day since the last <laughs> time I clapped eyes on you. Uh, but that picture in his attic looks terrible. <laughs> Our show was recorded from several well-stocked bunkers. We can't wait to get back to beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of trailersfromhell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is the composer Don Barrett, who also transmogrified, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. For over a hundred years, the world has been captivated by Hollywood. The uh, stuff that dreams are made of. Where stars are born. But just beneath the stardust lie a million more fascinating stories that when sewn together form an incredible history. The Secret History of Hollywood, available now 
wherever you get podcasts.